0: a repeat guest on our platform. Amishi Seth was hosted on TGV Hindi very recently and I was really enthused by the kind of topic that she has covered on our Hindi platform and today we have invited her on our English platform just to cover another interesting slash controversial topic and which most people might be curiously looking for answers to and Amishi Seth is a Playwright and an author with three books published by Penguin and Landmark Publications. And most of Indians might have seen her and read her books. And her latest book, *Dharma for Teenagers and Young Adults, is now published. And Amishi has been on Star Television Network's panel of experts to recruit new writers. She was interviewed on the All India Radio as a playwright, author and the screenwriter in popular children's properties like Chota Bheem, Krishna Balram, Laukush, among others. She runs her own YouTube channel Pep Thoughts by Amishi Seth and you can go there for easy practical answers to questions like how do I have good relationships, how do I make the personality changes I want etc. And you can also check out her Insta page, the Tootles, for cute and inspiring content. You will find the links to both her YouTube profile as well as Instagram page in the show notes or the episode description. And in addition to that, you will also find her LinkedIn profile so that you can connect with her in case if you would like to engage her on any of the creative aspects. She is also on the creative board for various production houses for the creation and production of content for digital as well as regular tv platforms as we prepare to delve into our conversation on the topic at hand "Dharma: answers to sanatan culture's biggest controversies here's an exciting twist first let us tickle her brains first so anishi get ready for a rapid fire round of random words i'll mention a few and i would love to hear the first thing that comes to your mind in response without thinking much if you are ready let's dive in
1: absolutely absolutely <laughs> but before that i must compliment you on this great initiative that you have taken with the tgv i think if if that's that's my motto that content has to be enriching and elevating otherwise what are we doing in the content space in the first place so congratulations to you and thank you for having me over and i'm really really honored to be here again so thank you so much you can choose
0: <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure is mine, and we'll do the rest of the honors as we move forward. And here comes my first word is uh, curiosity.
1: Uh curiosity would have to be uh truth.
0: Next one is invention.
1: Invention, um creativity, future, bright, book, knowledge, essential, and truth. Movie? Movie um enriching. Food. Yum.
0: Universe.
1: Universe of friend and enigmatic and enthralling.
0: Wow. Leadership.
1: Leading from the front. Role model. Inspiring. Success. Your own definition. Nobody else's.
0: Absolutely. I can resonate with you. My definition of success has also evolved over a period of time. Ever since I started my podcast and ever since I started my career also. And Amishi, I really appreciate you for participating in the first rapid fire round so sportively and there is one more okay. rapid fire round waiting towards the fag end of the episode and in the meantime let me welcome the audience so folks welcome to the guiding voice podcast series where we embark on transformative conversations for a better future i'm your host navin samala dedicated to making the world a better place through valuable discussions that add value not only to your life but also to your career thank you so much for tuning in and amishi Welcome back to TGV platform and super excited and thrilled to have you as a guest on this show, the English platform, and as well as engage in this enriching conversation.
2: Ditto, ditto. Ditto, absolutely. All right. So
0: pleasure, pleasure to have you. And let's get started. Let's get the ball rolling. So Amishi, let's begin with your success mantra. So we would like to understand the top three things that have contributed to your success so far.
1: So the top three things. There are a lot of factors actually, but if I were to pick the top three, the first one that I I would have to say is that very naturally I don't have to think about this. This is what I've always been. I never categorize things and projects into easy or difficult. So sometimes there are things which are uh, you know take uh, take you a little longer time to master. Sometimes things. Uh, you know they you can master them fast enough but it's okay beyond that I have never looked at things as easy or difficult
2: Mm -hmm.
1: or at the most I look at things as different so uh, just to give you a very small example so we went to Kailash Mansarovar now the whole world thinks it's a very very difficult uh, journey and one of the most beautiful journeys of my life frankly There's a lack of oxygen, you can't sleep and anything can go wrong at any time. And, you know, facilities, as you go ahead, the facilities keep diminishing. So, when we were coming back, the Mm -hmm. organizer of that trip, he said, "Uh, "Amishi, I have to tell you this. What? Says, you were the one who enjoyed yourself the most on this trip. Mm -hmm. And that took most difficult times. Mm. And immediately it came to me. I mean, I was very happy with the compliment. He's a veteran; he had been there for like eleven times. Mm-hmm. But uh, the first response that came to me was, "What was difficult? Every day was just <laughs> different." From the reaction he gave me, I realized I had said something interesting.
2: Yeah,
1: and that's when I realized this is how it's always been. So that's number one. Mm-hmm. Second thing about uh, my, uh, what leads me to success is, I think uh, as a creator, as a writer, everything, uh, creativity, there's only one creator in the universe and that's God. And if you can channelize that creative energy, you're blessed. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're absolutely
2: blessed.
1: So the second thing for me is, I never take my art for granted. Mm -hmm. Nor do I take people for granted. So, even even a simple WhatsApp for me is a piece of writing. No matter how, what is the monetary value of a project, I want to make it the best possible one
2: Mm -hmm.
1: for the client, for for my audience. My mantra is that anyone reading my stories or coming for my shows has has to leave the book or leave the show feeling either enriched or mm-hmm. happy or inspired or elevated so mm-hmm. even my firm a story to tell like you know the, the tagline for it is create entertain inspire super mm-hmm. so that is that is my and of course people i think i don't think there are any hierarchies in life whether it is a boss or a subordinate these are just roles not hierarchies yeah so, you gotta treat people with respect, period. So, I think that's the second thing uh, that uh, that is my success mantra. And most of the credit for it goes to my parents and the way my upbringing has been. Mm-hmm. And the third thing for me is I have never shied away from self-discovery. So, for example, uh, with my first book, It, it So Happened. I got an invite from Penguin to contribute to their anthology. Mm-hmm. That anth- anthology is called funny stories for seven-year-olds.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I used to think of myself as a lively person, cheerful person. But I was not sure how humorous I am mm-hmm. but only to discover whether I can do humor or not, I wrote that story mm-hmm. and eventually that story came on the cover page of that book, of that anthology and those characters got converted into, I, I, I wanted to do one novel, they said they signed me up for two and I've never looked back since. Wow! In fact, even for all my projects, I've mm. done a script for 250 kids, two and a half hour non-stop show on a topic like clothes. And my elders were like, "What's wrong with you to even try it?" And I said, "I don't know how I'm going to do it, but something will work out." So I've never shied away. I taught myself to cycle. I think just about five years back. Mm. So everybody was like, "It's the age to learn." I, I've never shied away from self-discovery, and I, and nor do I look at things as doable, not doable. As long as something is ethical, I'm fine. So, I'm not li- let that childlike spirit in me die. So, that I think would be the three things that keep me inspired and keep me going. Mind-blowing
0: <laughs> mind, mind, mind blowing and really, I, I got to witness a new dimension, a new personality altogether. I have interviewed more than 500 guests across 70 countries so far. Oh. But this is something really unique and I think that sets you apart from the tribe. Wonderful. Oh,
1: thank you, sir.
0: I, I loved, oh, I loved. It means a
1: lot for you to say that to
0: me. <laughs> so Amishi, let's get start getting into the conversation. Again, we have picked up some interesting topic, which many people who have been researching on this Sanatana Dharma or Sanatana culture might be curious. So my first question would be, what was the one or maybe two things that stood out for you about Sanatana Dharma or Sanatana culture while writing the book?
1: So the reason for this book was that there are so many questions that people have to which there are no convincing answers, and that kind of takes away the credibility of the culture. So I had started off with that, but believe you me, the and I used to think that Sanatan culture is we are we are a bunch of good people, we are a bunch (laughs) of open-minded, creative people, and um, we are very scientific. I was aware Mm -hmm. of our a lot of our scientific uh, achievements. So I I started off with that. But now that I've done so much research, I am absolutely floored at the sheer sophistication of intellectual, spiritual, scientific and social thought of this culture. I'm absolutely floored. Let me give you a couple of examples. Throughout the world, uh, in our natural world, We see a lot of cycles, right? Day and night is a cycle. Okay? Breath is a cycle. Inspiration, expiration. Rotation, revolution is a cycle. Circulation is a cycle. Seasons are cycles. The whole world is cycles. Every natural phenomenon is a cycle. Okay? Sanatana Dharma also talks about the cycles of yugas and all. But just, just get this. What is a cycle? A cycle is... When something, something comes back to the place where it started from. Yeah. That's a cycle, right? Yes. If you extrapolate this concept to the natural world, to things happening inside your body, to things happening through your soul, we have all started from consciousness, which we call God. You want to call it God. You call it God. You want to call it consciousness. You call it consciousness, Paramatma, whatever it is. We have all started from there. We are individual conscience from the universal conscience, consciousness. Mm-hmm. And our journey, therefore, our cycle is complete when we go back to being that. And that is moksha. That is nirvana. So nirvana and moksha, which sound like highly philosophical concepts, right. they are not just about philosophy or blind faith. They come from a scientific understanding of the way the universe works. It's all and in this case, it is about cycles. How everything eventually must go back to where it started from. Isn't that amazing? Suddenly, you realize there is no dogma at all in this culture.
2: Right.
1: I'll give you another example.
2: Sure.
1: So, there is this Krishna Yajurveda has mm-hmm. this uh, uh, series uh, the, this series of verses called the Mantra Pushpa. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, the mantra Pushpam say, one line is, fire is the source of water.
2: Mm.
1: And the second line says, water is the source of fire. Right. Now, this sounds really absurd, right? I mean, water and Indeed. how can one come from the other? Yeah. But really, if you observe in the natural world, it is the sun that sucks out moisture from the ocean, creates those clouds, and gives us rainfall. Yeah. Water has come from fire, right? Yep. Then it's also rain-bearing clouds that give us lightning.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Water has given us fire. And these are Vedic hymns which are used for Vedic rituals. So those rituals were not blind faith. They were a complete understanding of the science of creation. Mm-hmm. Science of the natural world and they use those sound frequencies of Sanskrit with the mantras, saying these truths out aloud, to get whatever uh, th- those rituals were designed to get. Now, I've I went through a research done in the U.S. on the Gayatri Mantra, mm-hmm. and all of that is detailed in my book. But just to give you a, the conclusion, they were clear that Sanskrit sound frequencies have a huge role to play in what happens with your brain, Mm -hmm. the neural networks, the quality of your right brain and left brain. If the same mantra, you just chant the meaning of that mantra in English or any other language, it will not give you the same benefit Mm -hmm. that you will get when you chant it in the way it is meant to be chanted as per the Vedas and as per the scriptures in Sanskrit. So, I am flawed. Now, this is this is about, look at the social thought. Mm-hmm. In the Mahabharata, there is an episode in which Rishi Narad comes to meet Yudhishthir. Mm-hmm. To teach him the art and science of administration. Okay. Yeah. Now, this he has taught Yudhishthir not as a lecture, but as a series of questions. There are about 100 such questions in the Vedavyas Mahabharata. Mm. Okay, yeah. I have picked up a lot of those questions and I've put them in my book. I'll just give you one or two questions sure. and you will you will know what I'm talking about. He says, does agriculture in your kingdom, is it mm-hmm. still dependent on rainfall or have you dug artificial lakes and wells? Irrigation, Narad is talking about irrigation more than 5,000 years back. Okay. He says, are all the varnas in your kingdom, prosperous and happy. He says, do you spy, do you keep tabs on 15 departments of your own kingdom and 18 departments of some of your neighbors and enemy kingdoms through three spies per department? So, can you imagine the depth of civil, civilizational thinking? I'll give you just one last example of social listening. Yep. Draupadi, Draupadi her real name is Krishna why was she called Krishna because she was dark complexioned
2: mm-hmm. okay yeah
1: there was no body and yet she was the most beautiful woman of her time hmm. so there was no body shaming and nobody said you're dark so you am dark I mean there was no there were no biases associated with it there were no blocks associated with it it is just the way it is Mm-hmm. Lambodar, lambodar means with a big stomach you call God that and it's it's a statement of fact it's not a statement of that somebody should feel sensitive and my human rights have been violated, blah blah blah. it's not that and you know it is today that we have this whole feminist idea that when a woman gets married, she takes on her maiden surname as well because mm-hmm. the thought is why should I change my surname yeah. right and legally also it helps. But just look at this and people have not noticed this. Sita was called Sita throughout her life.
0: Yeah.
1: Another name for Sita was Janki. Who was Janki? Janki means the daughter of King Janak. Janak. She was also called Vaidehi, which is the princess of Videha. Okay. So throughout her life, she was known by her maiden name and her maiden relationships. She was never called Rampatne. They didn't change Sita's name to Rampatni or, you know, like that. The same goes for Draupadi. She was Panchali because she was the princess of Panchal. So what we think is a great feminist achievement these days that we take on our maiden names and we don't give up our identity, that is there in Bharat since time immemorial. Women never had to give up their identities. (laughs) And I can go on and on. I have to really stop myself because what all I have seen in my research i am absolutely floored and so proud to be a part of this you know you so just I, take I, the I, things of Rig Veda and you take quantum physics and the big bang theory they are exactly the same exactly
0: yeah i think there is a lot to yeah. learn from vedas and i can see the depth in your conversation like the way you have explained things right it is really mind blowing and uh, let's move forward amishi what you say is sure. super fascinating, but how does it matter what happened like thousands of years ago and we are like people like me, right? We are all modern people and leading a modern life. So why should we go back to the past and why is this cultural identity important or relevant?
1: I think uh, this question is a question that everybody should ask and everybody mm-hmm. deserves an answer to this question. Uh, let me counter. Okay. So, what you're essentially saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Yeah.
1: What you're essentially saying is that you're a good person. You generally do things the right way.
2: Yeah.
1: Your life is working for you. You know, you're successful, life is working and all is fine. So, why should you bother with going back to a culture or that kind of an identity? Correct? Yeah. Is that, I, I got you correct? Yes. yes. Yeah. My question to you is... This definition of right and wrong, what is working, what is not working, where are those definitions coming from?
0: From my parents and from my school.
1: Who are coming, those definitions. So, there are cultures in this world, for right. example, mm-hmm. who think and who believe it to be right, yeah. that women were born to serve men. There yeah. are cultures in the world who think There were cultures in the world who felt that the white man deserves to rule. Everybody Mm. else is only a slave of the white man. Whereas we as a culture, we thought Vasudeva Kutumbakam. Everybody Mm. is equal. Everybody is one family. That is why when that cultural thought gets translated into action, Bharat has never invaded any country.
2: Mm.
1: Never. Bharat has never forced its ideology on anyone today when a person sitting in america does yoga and feels wonderful and feels good and healthy and you know all of that they thank bharat in that sense we have a soft power but we sent that yoga not to rule them we shared yoga because in our this we share knowledge we share wisdom it all it comes from culture now yeah. i'll tell you another thing so i will i was talking to uh, someone that about saraswati ji and vishwakarma so they they gods, no? Yeah. So, I said, no. If we were only worshipping gods, then we would have worshipped the murti of Saraswati and the murti of Vishwakarma.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What do we do? We worship books and we worship machines. So, it is not that books are divine or knowledge is divine because Saraswati is God. No. It is because knowledge is divine for us that Saraswati Ji is God. It's You understand the difference. Yes. It is because we believe in invention and creativity and innovation. That is why we worship machines. Because that is what they signify. And the world over, you tell me, the world over, the big, most successful engineers, doctors, uh, software uh, professionals, coders are mostly Bharatias, mostly yep. Hindus, right or wrong? And you look at any expat community, wherever you have expats, it is a phenomenon throughout the world
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that among all expat communities, Bharatiyas, predominantly Hindus, will be the most law-abiding, most adjusting, most sincere, most trustworthy and trusted and the most successful. Where does that come from? these things in culture are so ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. Now, culture of questioning, every scripture, every scripture, almost, in Bharatiya Sanskriti, in Sanatana Sanskriti, is a question and answer. Questions are not regarded as sin. Yeah. Questions are not regarded as some shaitan sitting on your head. Questions were a spiritual virtue. The whole Sanatan Moksha comes from the question, who am I? questioning your guru.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: all Sanatan Saspati. That is what makes us so open-minded. Now, why should you bother with that? A, without us even realizing it, we are living that culture. Mm-hmm. And we don't even realize. We don't say it is coming from there, but it is coming from there. Second thing, the progressiveness of this culture. I'll just give you one more example and it's like you have a Ram or a Shiva who can shed tears for their wives and you have mm. a Durga and a Kali who can go and fight a war. Men embracing their feminine side, women embracing their masculine, masculine masculine side, masculine energy. This kind of balance which culture will give you. Mm. So the second reason why you need to embody this culture is if we don't value it, who will?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, third thing is, and this, I think, when you talk about today's today's world of branding and marketing, what is a brand? A brand means a particular thing that gives you a certain kind of value and you associate that value with that product, right? Yeah. And where what makes a brand? A name? Sanatan Sanskriti. Certain colors? sanatana Sanskriti is so vibrant; you can't associate it with one color. But okay, chalo saffron is one color that is accepted. Okay, a logo. What is that logo? A logo is our, you know, the way we are, the way we uh, our tilak. For example, the packaging, the tilak is there, the kurta pajama is there, the sari is there, the bindi is there. All these are packaging for that brand. No. Yeah. The font is Sanskrit or Tamil in, in some cases, or mostly Sanskrit. So, in this area, and it makes no difference. Hmm. It makes no difference to a Shiva, a Parvati, a Lakshmi, a Vishnu, that whether or not we embody these symbols, it makes no difference to their lives. We need to do it to create in ourselves, just as these things in a brand create a subliminal association. To remind ourselves that this is what we stand for. And this is what we are proud about. And if we don't do it, who else will?
0: Awesome. It's really
1: as simple as that.
0: Right, right. And uh, yeah, I think um, I am getting more curious as and when you started answering. And I'm able to relate to so many aspects of uh, the Hindu mythology and current uh, education system. And also finding reasons to many things, right? So as we move forward, I have one more question. like. Why do you think this caste system existed in the ancient Bharat?
1: The caste system, uh, the way uh, it is understood today as this demonic system of social, uh, what do you call, uh, isolation and unfairness and all, is the biggest lie that has been told to us, honestly. In the medieval times, people took advantage of this lie and they embodied that lie. But in ancient Bharat, in ancient Bharat, firstly we have to understand caste is not the english for varna which was yeah. there
2: mm-hmm. okay?
1: caste is a portuguese word called casta yeah and it comes from a different lineage and a different uh, perspective now what were these varnas society was divided or or categorized in terms of professions so those who were researchers scientists philosophers Accommodations, teachers, uh, ritualists were all the Brahmins. So, the Brahmins lived out of books and they lived in their heads. That category was Brahmins. Okay? Yeah. Then you had the military, the soldier class, the warfare class, the administrative class, which were oh. all the Kshatriyas, mm-hmm. the bureaucrats and the soldiers. Okay? They were the Kshatriyas. Then you had... The Vaishyas, who were essentially businessmen and traders. All other categories of professions fell in the fourth category, which was the Shudras. So the Shudras ranged from workers, laborers, to artisans, sculptors, musicians, performers, engineers, dramatists. All of them were Shudras. And there was zero hierarchy. It was Mm. all, come up with one profession. That falls does not fall into these four categories. I don't think so. There is no profession that right. will not fall into these four categories. And why was this done? Is because be, because of your predisposition. So so for example, I'm I'm a writer. Okay, yep. I can never be an engineer. Hmm. Not because of lack of intelligence, but because my pravritti is not that my. Persona is not that. Some some engineer might come and tell me or a uh, software professional, what you day I mean, what the hell? Yeah, go do something productive. (laughs) You know, these were natural thing, And that is why they had certain codes of conduct. And they had certain, certain roles in society. And it is not... That you were born into it. Excuse me. You were not born into it. It was something that you already had and that blossomed. So I'll give you a few examples. This one thing is coming to my mind, which is example Karna. Okay. Now, Karna, people think is this poor tortured soul who suffered the caste system in ancient India. Absolute nonsense. And I'll give you one example that everybody knows. Forget the research that I have done into Karna. But one thing everybody knows that he was called a Sudhputra. He was a Shudra, charioteer's son, right? Yep. But Duryodhan made him the king of Angaraj. In the presence of Bhishma, all the Brahmins, the Pandavas and the entire community, entire Praja of Hastinapur. Nobody objected to a Shudra being made the king of a province. But nobody talks about that. Because that does not suit the narrative that Karna was a poor tortured soul. And by the way, Karna was educated by Dronacharya. Yeah. His early life, he Dronacharya was one of his gurus. Okay. So coming back to the caste system, so this kind of fluidity was there. Dashrat's main prime minister, Arya Sumantra,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he belonged to the Suth community. Mm. He was the son of a charity. And yet he was the one organizing all the Veda, all all the Havans and all the yagnas and everything. In our temples, the carvings would have been done by Shudras. What are we talking about? Shudras not being allowed into temples. They built those temples. They did those carvings. And to do those carvings, you needed to understand music. You needed to understand dance because of the postures and the beauty of those uh, things. So, there are so many instances which I have detailed in this book where mm. people who were born into one Varna chose another Varna.
2: Mm.
1: And they were allowed to do that. And this was simply a system of the right person for the right job. The social and spiritual reason for this this was that when you take up a profession that you are naturally inclined to, one, you excel in that profession and hence you can make a better, more impactful contribution to society and mm-hmm. to yourself. Yeah. That's the social reason. There is a spiritual reason for this also. Mm-hmm. The spiritual reason and which is also mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita is that when you take up a profession which you are naturally inclined that is the best way for you to express your own soul, your own godliness. Because Paramatma decided to be this way through you. So that is the best way for you to embody your godliness and feel the bliss of life and hence be connected spiritually to Bhagwan. To Sachit to, Ananda, to, to which God is. So it was not. I, I say it again, I, I could give you so many examples, but for paucity of time, these were simply categories of professions, not hierarchies ever. Now, somebody says Shudras were not allowed to do uh, yagnas. Excuse, uh, excuse me. Even Kshatriyas were not allowed to conduct yagnas. Even Vaishyas were not allowed to conduct yagnas. Even all Brahmins were not allowed to conduct all kinds of yagnas. There were specialists. So for Dashrath also, although he had vashisht as his Kulguru, who is one of the greatest vishis of Bharat, in order for Ram uh, for that Putra Kameshti Yagna, he had to call another Brahmin who was an expert in that kind of Yagna. Mm-hmm. So you are allowed to learn about neurosurgery, but only a neurosurgeon can actually perform the The same way a Brahmin will not be able to go and construct a temple. Mm. So, it is, there are no hierarchies at all.
0: Eye opening conversation. And Amishi, if this caste system was about individual nature and professions alone rather than hierarchies, then why do Brahmin seem to receive more importance and undue benefits?
1: Undue benefits is absolutely wrong. And I'll tell you why. Okay. I'll tell you why. Sure. Dakshatriyas, as, mm-hmm. uh, as a professional community, they had there uh, the kings had the royal treasury okay the soldiers the administrators the bureaucrats had their salaries mm. as regular sources of income okay yeah the vaishyas had their profits the shudras either had their salaries their wages or their contractual income depending on what they were doing mm. okay The Brahmins were the only ones who did not have a regular source of income. Mm -hmm. What did they do? They did research. They were scientists. Mm -hmm. This requires funding for an extended period of time and you have no ready assets to sell. Till that period of research, till you can uh, sing. So that's one. Brahmins as researchers had no source of income.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Then you have the Acharyas, the, the Gurus. Okay. Most of these Gurus were as also. Mm-hmm. The Gurus also, in Bharatiya Sanskriti, the Guru is as good as your parents. Guru is given a greater status than God. Because a Guru will teach you about God and show you how to reach there. So, you pay salaries to your parents? No. No. How can you pay salary to a guru? How can you turn a guru to an employee? This happens today because education itself has become commercialized. Right. In those times, it was gurus also had their families. They had thousands of disciples to maintain. Mm-hmm. Where would they get the money and no ready asset to sell? Mm-hmm. How can you sell your academic knowledge? How would you do that? It's impossible. Then what else did the Brahmins do? Mm-hmm. The Brahmins... There were these Brahmins who looked after the temples, did the rituals. Okay. Now look at what these temples achieved. The temples were not places of worship, let me tell you that. Worship is a side activity in the temples. The temples were basically, and I have a chapter on the temples as well. No. The temples were basically about bringing the community together in a high energy, high vibration space. Mm. What used to happen in the temples? Debates used to happen Mm. in the temples, festivities, performances, Mm. Mm. dance, music, drama, all of that used to happen and the whole community would come together as one. Mm. This was spearheaded by the Brahmins and another thing that the Brahmins did by virtue of their spiritual guidance, you see any society in which you believe in something higher than yourself like a god or a universe, that society will be far more resilient than one that does not. Because you know there is a higher plan, so you make peace with things that you don't like because there is a higher plan. But when you are the kind of person who works only in this moment and this moment is all of your life, that person will break down at the smallest you know, vicissitude to strike them. So the whole resilience of our society was in the hands of Brahmins. And they were the only people. They were the like the spine of our culture, of society, whether as a kingdom or as a nation. They were the ones who put, kept it all together. And yet they had no ready source of income. So which is why... And demonizing... Why were Brahmins demonized? Hmm. Brahmins were demonized because if you... Cut off Brahmins from the rest of society, the society will collapse. The different pieces of society, that adhesive is gone, so society will disintegrate hmm. Because there's no moral guidance, there's no spiritual guidance, there's no social guidance. That is why even ancient kings used to have a Brahmin with them. So that they could be advised on you know, what is right and what is wrong, what to do, what not so, which is why giving charity to cha- Brahmins were the only ones who needed charity. No other profession needed charity.
0: Yeah, got it.
1: So, that is why.
0: Thank you. Thank you for busting. These things never told to us. These
1: things are <laughs> never told to us.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, got it. And thank you. Thank you for busting the myths. I think this is uh, exceptional conversation. Let's move forward, Amishi. And uh, maybe can you also share about what really is this uh, shivling?
1: Okay, another big controversy.
0: <laughs> I have
1: this this uh, whole thing about the shivling.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a
1: whole chapter on this. Mm. In the, I've got a chapter on what is the Ras Lila, because again Hindus get hit by it and hit by it and hit by it, not knowing what to say about it. So let's uh, so that can be read in the book. So let me take you through the shivling. And again, I am flawed. Before we understand the shivling. We have to understand another very interesting thing about the Shivling. Okay. So, before we understand the Shivling, we have to understand a couple of concepts. So, that will make it much easier. Sure. Concept number one is that in Hinduism, in Sanatana Dharma, God is a formless entity. God is pure consciousness, who is called Brahman or who is called Parabrahma. Uh, Shaivites call him Shiv. The Vaishnavites will call him Mahavishnu, you know, Paramatma. That is formless Brahman, formless consciousness. Now, it is this consciousness that takes on the different forms of all the Devi Devtas and everybody else. Okay, the entire cosmos is a projection of this consciousness. So that's one. So God is essentially formless. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. The second concept that we need to understand is what you see in a shivling. The actual shape of a shivling is an ellipse. Mm. Okay, like like an egg shape, seed shaped, oval. Now such a shape is very difficult. You can't keep it erect. You can't install it. Yeah. Unless it is embedded into a pedestal. So what you see on top is only part of the shivling. The rest of it is in the pedestal. Yeah. That's the second Okay. The third thing is, what this ellipse is, by the way, the ellipse is the most accurate mathematical shape of our expanding universe.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You check, right? And so what is this? Why, why do we have a shape like this that we worship? The shape like this is, Just as Om, you know, Om at the time of the Big Bang, and I've got a chapter about that also. In Om, it's called the voice of the formless God. Okay? Shivling, this Ling, this ellipse, is the visualization of that formless God. How? You see that egg, an egg, or even a seed for that matter. So let's take the egg. The egg has neither eyes, nor face, nor lips, nor beaks, nor claws, nothing. But the life it contains has all of it. So, the egg is the simplest representation of complex life. Yeah. So, this is the shibling. Okay. Now, let's come to exactly the shibling. Then I'll what it is and then I'll tell you what it means. Yeah. They are okay. two different things. Sure. What it is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, the shibling is this, uh, the classical is there is this pitham, mm-hmm. the bottom part of the pitham is the Brahma pitham, the, the top of that pedestal is the Vishnu pitham and the shivling itself, be part of the ellipse that you can see
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the part below which you can Now what does this mean? Why do we have something like this? Let's take the example of a seed and that will clarify it for all the, all your viewers. So, a seed has neither roots nor shoots nor bark nor nothing. Okay? Yeah. But it contains all of it. So, the seed is Brahman before creation. Then mm-hmm. it was still pure consciousness and nothing was created.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. It's potential.
1: It's God energy and it's potential to be everything okay that will ship then you go on to then you know the the, the the seed it starts sprouting roots and it develops shoots and leaves and little buds come out that is creation starting to happen mm-hmm. that is the brahma phase of creation then it grows and then you have, have to give it sunlight you have to give it proper soil you have to give it proper water That is the phase of protection and sustenance,
2: Mm -hmm. which
1: is the realm of Lord Vishnu. So, this is the Vishnu Pita. That is this protection and sustenance. Finally, the tree has grown. It has sprouted fruits and flowers and all of that. And then the fruit, which is the final form, the final stage of development. Some of those fruits are consumed by us, by animals, by birds. Some of them rot and fall off the tree yeah. and the fruit kind of dies. But whether we eat it or whether it rots and it falls, what finally remains is the seed. The cycle is complete from seed to seed, from Shiva to Shiva. And it goes a little further than this also. Then, so what is the shivling telling us? A, it is telling us the nature of life itself. Mm-hmm. It is telling us the purpose of life. It is telling us, you also came from God. You live in a world provided for God, by God. So be humble, be mindful of that. You, eventually, all that will remain is God and you have to go back to Him. So lead your life in such a way that you go back to being the seed that you initially were. Yeah. Okay and which is why when you see the cobra also around the shivling the cobra mm. is representative of your kundalini energy right yeah kundalini yoga is visualized as a coiled serpent at the base of your spine before your endocrine chakras mm-hmm. so as you advance spiritually this serpent comes up and it goes out through the uh, crown chakra the, mm-hmm. the same. so that's when you know, nirvana happens, smoke happens and all of that. So, that is the cobra signifies that.
2: Mm-hmm. There a
1: lot of people ask if this is what the shivling is and by the way, the Vilva patra that you put on the shivling is also has three leaflets if Correct. you
2: see. Yeah.
1: Three leaflets are Brahma, Vishnu, Maheshwar.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.
1: Now, some people ask, uh, then what is the uni? Why <laughs> is this a phallic symbol then? Okay. Mm. Very simple, very simple. Just as Shiva, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva are consciousness, Parvati, Lakshmi, Saraswati are energy. They are called Shakti. Now you tell me, is there anything in this world that you can do without the combination of consciousness and energy? Not at all. So for example, you have, you have to eat food. It's yeah. As mundane as that, you have to eat. You have, Your consciousness... Tells you that you are hungry, it tells okay. you that you need to eat, it tells you about what is edible, what is not edible, blah blah blah. And you will need to expend energy to do your cooking, to bring your food, to bring your food to your mouth, to swallow it to go. You'll need energy. But is is that a sexual activity? It is still the union of consciousness and energy. It is right. still the union of Shiva and Shakti. Mm-hmm. Is it sexual activity? It's not. Yeah.
2: To
1: write a thesis. You need consciousness about what to write about and everything. And you need the energy to actually do it. Is this intellectual activity a sexual activity? It's not. And the same for meditation. Anything, anything that you do, you will always... In meditation also, you will need energy to stop yourself from getting distracted about other things. Yeah. You cannot do anything without consciousness and energy. And both are same Brahman. They Both are different aspects of the same Brahman. Just as consciousness and energy are different aspects of every human being. And it is the union of Shiva and Shakti. So, looking at it as a phallus or this thing is just, I don't know, it's anti-common sense. Mm -hmm. Because it is everything, it is also that. Because it is everything, it is also that. But is it only that? Mm -hmm. It cannot be. Because the universe is not only that. Life is not only that. So, a shivling basically is this.
0: I think we can uh, do one episode on each of these topics. That's how deep uh, we have (laughs) gone into these subjects that is evident and we can definitely plan a few more sessions on these intriguing topics. Oh, I would love
1: to. I, would yeah. love to. I can and go on and on. Honestly. Yeah, and I, yeah I, so I
0: can see that. And uh, let's move to the next question. Like you said, if everything is Brahman, why does Sanatan culture have so many gods? I think 33 crores.
1: It's not 33 crores. It is 33. Okay. Koti means a level of excellence.
0: Koti okay.
1: is a category of excellence. Mm. Koti. Standard. Okay. 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 Mm-hmm. So there's Devadhi. So, those are 12 Adityas, 8 Vasus, 11 Rudras, 2 Ashwin gods. All of that is semantics.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: 33 crores also works for us. Why it mm-hmm. works for us? It's because Sanatan culture is the only culture in the world that tells mm-hmm. you it's not just that he or she is God. So, she is God is again something very exclusive to Sanatan culture. But Brahman is interpreted as a woman, Adi Shakti. As the supreme godhead, that is also something that Sanatan culture, no other culture of the world, puts the female energy to that pedestal. Okay, very. So, having said that, whether male or female, Brahman doesn't even have a form. It's everything and yet beyond it. Right. Yeah. But Sanatan culture is the only culture in the world that tells you not only is he or she god, you are also god. And I'll give you a simple example to, to make you uh, understand that. Okay. So it goes from the realm of philosophy to pure logic. I've come to the conclusion that Sanatan has no philosophy. It has only logic. Of course, I'm too small in the, this thing to make conclusions about Sanatan culture. But yes. So, let me see if this point proves, proves what I'm saying. Okay. A painter makes a painting. mm-hmm. Okay, are the painter and the painting different? <laughs> That's
2: physically a question.
1: <laughs> physically, they're different. Physically, yeah. the painter is different. the painting is at with all of that. But if you look at the painter and the painting as creative energy, imagination, creativity, visualization, mm. then are they the same? Then are they the same?
2: Yes, yes.
1: They are, right? Yes. Even an empty space on the canvas is the painter. Yeah. Because his energy, his creativity left it empty. Mm-hmm. By that logic, if God is the painter who painted us on the canvas of the universe, we are God also. So, we are not just 33 crore gods in India itself, we are 134 million gods. And the world over, every creature is God, every speck, every grain of sand is God. Okay, And yep. this is the only culture that expands human consciousness. You tell me, I don't mean to point out any particular culture. But if somebody tells you, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. How will you ever expand yourself to be God? Not at all. And there are cultures who do that to you. I've heard their spiritual leaders saying, shouting at the public, "You are a bloody sinner. He mm-hmm. suffered because of you." Hey, hello. If if you're going to put your good, you have to tell me as my guide how better I can become, who I am. You can't. You can't keep. You know. Uh, sort of uh, burying me under the soil and then expecting me to fly—you can't do that. And there is a logic to it. I said it's not fantasy; there is a logic to it. So, 33 crores or not—it's just, of course, there's a whole chapter in the book. I will leave it for the reader to read about, you know, the different categories of gods and all, just for a basic understanding. But at the end of the day, it really does not matter.
0: <laughs> it is so clear and intriguing at the same time and let's uh, move to the next oh, question I am sure it must be a dumb question uh, but I, I won't refrain from asking Like, are are these maha, Ramayana and Mahabharata real
1: from what I have told you about this culture <laughs> uh, is that I planned a very elaborate answer for if somebody ever asked me this question what do you think this culture from what I have told you has built its edifice on fairy tales. Now, most of the rishis who are responsible for most of our scientific achievements, like for example, there's a very important rishi called Agastya,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who meets Sri Ram and who actually gives Sri Ram the bow that he uses eventually to kill Ravan. Okay, and he gives him that Akshay Tunir, that with uh, arrows and all that. Now, this Rishi Agastya has written a book called Agastya Samhita, which talks about practical applications of physics. One of those practical applications is using zinc to make a battery, which was done in an American lab and it, and the formula works. They developed a battery using exactly what Rishi Agastya wrote. And this is just one piddly thing that he has done. Apart from that, his work is amazing and it's beyond Okay, are you saying or are we saying that such great rishis uh, who do exist and the culture that celebrates these rishis believes in fairy tales? I mean, it's beyond. Of course, the evidence is there. For anything to be real, what kind of evidence do you need? You need documentary evidence. Okay, we have the books written by these rishis. We have the Bhagavad Gita. Wherever you go in the world, anywhere in Bharat, Bhagavad Gita will have 18 chapters, 700 shlokas, verse 12 of chapter 5 will be the same. Okay? Yeah. Who gave the Bhagavad Gita? Krishna. When did he give it to him? In, in During the war. Where in, in the war, all the characters of Mahabharat were there. And the war here happened because all the instances mentioned in the Mahabharat happened. That is why the war happened. How can Mahabharat be Secondly, we have monumentary evidence. Our history, ours is perhaps the only culture apart from maybe the Egyptian culture, where everything is written in stone. Yeah. Those temples will depict the same scenes no matter where you go in Bharat. Similar scene. Our history is documented in stone. Second thing. Third thing. For a moment, for one mm-hmm. moment, let's say they're all fairy tales, very cleverly crafted fairy tales. Okay, let's compare it to some other fairy tale. Let's compare it to Cinderella. Cinderella has also been going on for generations together. You tell me, when was Cinderella born? Can anybody answer that question? We can answer when Ram was born, when Krishna was born, and it is not some date it is as per tithi that is why ram navmi will keep changing every year because it is based on an astronomical calculation okay
2: yeah
1: then which where was cinderella's kingdom which kingdom was that prince from we have the ancestry forget ram being ayodhya there are ram was the 39th king of his ancestry and his ancestors have been detailed in the purans and the Purans were written by Vedavyas, compiled rather, recorded. The uh, Ramayana was written by Valmiki ji. There's so much cross referencing that is there in our history. It's already cross referenced. You don't need to reference it further. Okay. No. So, and look at the culture. I mean, Cinderella, apart from a Disneyland where you could probably go and attend a ball or something, is there any cultural impact of Cinderella? Not really. Festivals? Temples, our temples, so many of our temples are those places in which Puranic episodes happened. So you have a temple where Shiva and Parvati ji got married.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, it is there uh, Kedarnath, Uttarakhand. Not many people know about it, but it's there. Kedarnath shrine was built by the Pandavas. The Pandavas' uh, statues are there uh, outside. So it's all there. So anybody who says that this is all a myth, I want to ask them: What are you basing it on? Give me evidence that it is myth. Do you know any historian of that time who says none of it happened? Then please produce such. Otherwise, don't discount the culture with mm. all the And and one last question is: What is more logical? I say, don't believe it. You don't want to believe it. Don't believe it. Fine. For what is more logical to say all this evidence is there, therefore, there is a possibility of its truth. There's a way saying that all this evidence is there, but I am blinkered, and I don't want I want to ignore it. What is more logical, what is more scientific, what is more intellectual is
0: <laughs> and I rest my case. <laughs> Perfect. Great conversation. And I was, I'm so intrigued. And it's time for us to add a little spice to the conversation and add some excitement. So get ready, Amishi, as we dive into a series of second rapid fire questions, a set of intriguing questions oh, yeah, okay. just to get to know your other side. So if you're ready, let's get started. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So okay. here comes the first one. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say?
1: About myself.
0: It could uh, be anything. Then
1: I would say. I would say, she made a difference and a good one.
0: (laughs) Awesome. And what is one thing that you are really bad at that you wish you were good or better at?
1: Actually, it's not that I'm bad at it. I'm exceptionally good at it and that is a problem. I (laughs) forget things like how. I mean, I I still don't know why I would not keep my car keys back in my bag and then have to come back and rush back for it by remembering where I put it. So, I'm very often found looking for things. I wish I was bad at that.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Let's move to the next one. Can you describe yourself in just one word?
1: In just one word. Okay. I think integrity. I believe in integrity. Mm -hmm. Integrity as a person. Integrity with my work.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Integrity of purpose. I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I would like. I hope that word gets associated with me.
0: Good one. And what is your favorite thing about living in the current exciting times, the 21st century?
1: The most exciting part, if you ask me is, I mean, while researching for the book and also, if you really look for things, look for truth, it is accessible to everyone. Knowledge has never been so accessible. Without, by accessible, I mean, not just in terms of the availability, but availability fast, where you are. And when you need it, you know, that is, I think, very.
0: I couldn't agree more. And if you could have any (laughs) superpower, what would it be and why?
1: If I had, uh, I'll go back to my, what has been my driving force for this book also. If I could have a superpower, Mm -hmm. I wish I could put a truth switch in every brain, every mind of this world, wherein you just put in the switch and you know exactly the truth about. Anything that you want to know the truth about and you would know the truth about yourself also. I think if we started accepting more the truth about ourselves, then 90% of problems in the world would end. So yeah, yeah. I wish I I could I, I, I implant a truth switch in every brain. Your relationships will improve. Everything will become heaven if that happens.
0: <laughs> Very creative. <laughs> and here comes my last one for the rapid fire. What is one electronic gadget or a fantasy gadget that you'd like to see or invent yourself?
1: The truth, switch. I just spoke about I think that's
0: a smart answer. Like you covered, uh, <laughs> you, you, you have hit both uh, birds at one shot. Good one. And uh, let's... Yeah, see rapid
1: star, so, rapid.
0: yeah, that's right. And let's be back to the mainstream. And if everything in Sanatana <laughs> culture is so scientific, where did we lose it? And how come we not know about it? How come we do not know about it?
1: We don't know about it for uh, some simple reasons. Number one, how would we know about it? Today, we, our condition is so pathetic that we can't even read a Bhagavad Gita without it being a translation. Yeah. So, when Sanskrit got taken away from us, all our scriptures got taken away. Mm-hmm. All this depth of knowledge got taken away. So, it started in stages. It started with the Arabs who came here, the Mughals who destroyed our temples, burnt down down our libraries. The British who came here, took away Sanskrit, introduced English, demonized Brahmins. And they introduced a sense of... Before the British came, by the way, 25% of the GDP was with us. Hmm. The world GDP. Right. Right? The only way to break us was to break our culture. Yeah. Because it's our culture that got us so far. Right? The Arthashastra, which is a part of the Vedas for God's sake. You know. So uh so all of that got taken away from us, and and so they replaced uh, the dhoti. The dhoti suddenly became barbaric. You know, You're wearing your tie and trousers and coat became became like the in thing to do. Eating with hands became uncouth and became unhygienic. Sitting downstairs with, uh, uh, on the floor was poverty, and sitting on the table. So systematically, they ripped us apart from our roots and we fell in for it because we had nothing to fall back on we didn't have much to fall back on i wouldn't say nothing because the very fact that you and i are sitting here and having this conversation the very yeah. fact that you and i agree that this is a topic of relevance means that our culture is alive and thriving mm-hmm. it is just that we need to plug in some loose ends and loopholes that's all we need to do and which which makes me very hopeful yeah so this knowledge was to us because of this ah so the very fact that we are reclaiming it and and the very fact that you think and i think that this is a topic of interest and relevance to everyone i think we are we are we are slowly going to towards reclaiming what we had yeah and reclaiming it is not about connecting with the past reclaiming mm-hmm. it is about connecting to the past so that Your future is brilliant. Because we are not some... We are a civilization of real, real, real success. We are a very successful civilization, whether morally. We already discussed morally, spiritually, socially, and uh, even, even, even monetarily, financially. We have been a very, very, very successful civilization. Yeah. So we need to reclaim which we already know, which we own and which we have inherited.
0: Absolutely, I agree hours. with you. And, and yeah, and congratulations on doing your bit for revival of this and reconnecting with the past. I think that's an amazing stuff. And for those of you who are interested in purchasing Amishi's books, you'll find the links. So you can imagine the kind of knowledge and the kind of research went into putting that particular uh, set of topics out there. So I'm sure you'll find a lot of value added. Uh, in her books and Amishi, I really appreciate it and I thoroughly enjoyed every bit of this conversation and how is your experience being hosted on the Guiding Voice platform?
1: I think uh, it was amazing, it was just amazing. Firstly, everything so professionally organized even in my previous uh, conversation and even now this was amazing and also the fact that you, you tell me about wanting to make a difference, you're also making a difference Thank and you. I think that kind of a connect that we have is is a very valuable connect. It's a connect that you don't get with everybody. And I think uh, I feel so blessed and grateful that this platform and I kind of found each other. I think it was meant to be.
0: Yeah, it was meant to be. And I'm
1: looking forward to many more future associations like this. And together we'll make a difference.
0: Absolutely would, would love to do many more episodes and uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining me in this insightful conversation and I really appreciate it uh, Amishi and um, like just to resonate with you like universe has been so kindful to us in terms of connecting amazing souls like you and as you said we are destined to connect and that's how we are able to make <laughs> this happen and looking forward to many more.
1: Oh thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it, enjoyed it, loved it.
0: Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. And friends, that was our episode with Amishi Seth. Before we jump into the fun trivia section, we have a quick request. And in case if you haven't already, please subscribe to The Guiding Voice TGV Podcast from wherever you have tuned in because subscribing keeps you updated on new episodes. And also if you have enjoyed the conversation and found it useful, Please share it at least three of your friends or colleagues who would also like the guiding voice. So spread the knowledge and help others grow just like you. Now let's cruise into the trivia segment of today's episode. We had amazing conversation about Sanatan culture or Sanatan Dharma and got some deep insights about Amishi's book Dharma. I thought I would present you a few lesser known facts about Sanatan Dharma as part of today's trivia. The first one is about Vedic decimal system. The Vedic civilization, which is associated with Sanatana Dharma, is credited with the development of the decimal system. The earliest known use of a decimal numeral system is found in the ancient Vedic texts, particularly in the Shatapatha Brahmana. Second one is about scientific insights in ancient texts. Sanatana Dharma's ancient texts contain remarkable scientific insights. For instance, the Surya Siddhanta, an ancient Sanskrit text, provides an accurate calculation of the length of a year, closely matching the modern scientific value. And third is about yoga in warfare. Ancient Indian warriors practiced a form of material art called Dhanurveda or yoga of archery and this system not only focused on physical training but also incorporated yogic principles for mental focus and spiritual development, demonstrating the holistic approach of Sanatana Dharma. So for those of you who have tuned into this episode and who are aware of Sanatana Dharma and who are aware of some lesser known facts, I would love to hear from you. And in case if you are not aware of Sanatana Dharma and if you have felt enlightened out of this episode, I would love to hear from you as well. So that's it for today. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in and also for being part of our awesome TGV community. We would love to hear from you. So do not hesitate to share your ideas, feedback, topic recommendations or guest speaker sessions either through social media or you can also email us at and let's create content that resonates with you. I'm your host, Navin Samala, a lifelong learner. And my goal is to have impactful conversations that improve not only your life, but also your career. Until next time, Take care, stay inspired and remember the future holds great things because the best is yet to come. Goodbye for now. See you all in the next episode with another amazing guest.